Good afternoon and welcome to the Carolina Codecast, the official podcast of the Carolina Code Conference. With me today is Christina Roberts. Say hello, Christina. Hey, everybody, and thank you, Barry, for having me on. Thanks for being here. So what are you doing these days? Well, I'm doing a lot of um, what my heart is always set on. So you know that I'm involved in a lot of things, and recently I am trying to collaborate all the things I love and all the initiatives that are going on in our area in general that I support and figuring out um, what I can do to assist, to be connected, to be catalyst, and just kind of some design thinking around our tech industry, I guess, locally. Nice. Well, and and so I you are you are definitely busy. The most recent thing that I saw on your LinkedIn was that you are now the chairwoman of the board of the Agile Learning Institute. Is that correct? That is, and I am so honored to be in that role. Um, the the Agile Learning Institute is amazing, and it's filled with absolutely amazing people. So the fact that they would ask me to um, be in this role is is just a complete honor. Um, do you know much about the Agile Learning Institute? I don't. I don't know almost anything about it at this point. Okay. Well, let me let me share with you then. Um, it was founded by Mike Story, so he's local in this area. Um, well, kind yeah. of region more than area. And Mike is really special to me because when I was in um, code school, I asked him and some other people just to like meet me for lunch or whatever, and he did. And it was one of my favorite experiences, and we've been friends for years after that. The second thing I love about him is his heart and his genuineness. So that those initial counters I had with him were um, a product of just who he is. And the Agile Learning Institute has become a huge extension of where his heart and where his motives are. So what we do is we offer um, training for people coming into tech. And so I like to just use the phrase like anybody who's been oppressed in any kind of way, who's done with any, dealt with any systematic barriers, who just isn't represented in tech a lot. And I know the status quo is usually just around the usual diversity metrics we think of, like gender and race and all that. All right. And so we had a brief interruption there, but you were just discussing uh, the various diversity metrics that you'll see in the area and, uh, and how the Agile Learning Institute works. So please continue with that. Sorry about the interruption. Yeah, no problem. So we, in general, people usually think of diversity as gender and race and as uh, religion, that type of thing. But here in the South, it's a lot more complicated. And we know that a lot of factors stack on top of each other. So it could be just a person who's living in a small town where the only source of income shut down like a mill, or it could be um, a woman in the Persevere program who's in prison learning how to code with no internet, which is amazing. And we get to be their next step coming through. Um, it could be somebody who's experienced trauma or domestic violence or family trauma, you know, as a young adult. So we just step in and are able to say, hey, we've got a one-on-one -on -one mentor for you uh, with lots of experience. We have four tracks of areas that you might want to learn in. Um, we're going to get a general overview of tech and we're going to make an individualized plan with you and go through it. And one of the most beautiful things I love about it is that it truly is agile. So I know we use the word agile in tech as a you know, framework, but it's agile in the sense that if we have a single mom who's learning and she can do 17 hours a week, but it has to be, you know, she's gonna have to do some of it at night when her kids are asleep, we can make a plan to make that work. Um, if it's somebody who's a young adult and needs to get out of a, um, a bad family situation, we can do 55 hours a week and load you up with all the next things to do if you want to head through it. Um, but we can change plans. And as you learn and grow, you can realize, hey, these are the things I'm really interested in. I didn't really know I'd like DevOps, but that was kind of cool, you know, messing around with containerization and and setting all these things up in the background. Um, so it's, it's just a great opportunity for our area to be able to reach out in a way that's really flexible and really impactful um, and very direct. It's it's one-on-one. -on -one and we're gonna be there with you from the beginning to the end. It's also free for all the apprentices. Um, nobody who works here makes any money right now. Um, we're, we're volunteering and doing it because 
everybody involved cares about this actual outcome. Um, so we have experience in tech. We have lots of knowledge. I'm probably the least experienced. Everybody else has like 40 years experience in tech. Um, but it's it's coming from the heart and we get to use tech for good. We get to use our experience for good and we get to give back. That is a fantastic organization. Um, I, I definitely will want to hear a little bit more about them in the future. Uh, that's so, I mean, you mentioned a lot uh, in that, in terms of the, in terms of the programs and how people can be helped from different situations and backgrounds and access to internet. One of the things that you specifically mentioned that I'd, I'd like to hear a little more about is you mentioned a program where people can learn to code from prison. I think you called it persevere. And so they're learning to code with no internet access, which I think a lot of people who learn to code now would have a really hard time imagining. I can't even fathom it. I can't fathom the idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Persevere is one of my favorite nonprofits. I was actually involved with Persevere bef before they became uh, partners with Agile Learning Institute, so they're official partners now. And I, uh, my role in Persevere was just going and giving some talks, you know, virtually to the the women in prison. Um, I started in with a group in Tennessee. Persevere actually opened last year at the Columbia prison. So we have this going on locally, which is awesome because this is this is our tech system here and we can locally do something about it. Um, so yes, I love being involved yeah. with them and I love that we're gonna, we're a pipeline for the next step when these ladies, it's not just for ladies, they have male groups too, but when these people come out and um, it's a, if you really put yourself in their situation of what it would feel like to be coming out of prison, um, the world's totally changed. You know, you probably have self-doubt. Everybody has self-doubt coming into tech, but it's just a whole different, a whole different mindset. So not only to be able to be here and say, hey, this is how you do JavaScript. This is how you make a website. You know, this is how we build a back end. We also get the opportunity, which is an honor to, to in those moments say, everybody feels overwhelmed. You know, you're doing great. You're, you have a yeah. skill that not a lot of people have. Um, you have a path here in tech in whatever kind of job area you want. We want you here and just bring that sense of um, community to them that they're wanted, they're needed, and that um, life is about what you do forward, you know? and um, kind of take away the take away stuff that they're ready to let go of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I honestly can't even imagine what that must be like. It's, it's, it's really hard to get in and get your first job, period. I mean, I, I came out of school with a master's degree and I was still just pulling my hair out trying to figure out um, how to get a job. And, and all sorts of things go through your head as far as what might be preventing you from being able to get the job. Uh, and, you know, whether it's, you know, you don't have five years of experience in this specific thing that was listed on a resume, because, you know, we've all gone through that at some point uh, eventually. But what I've, what I definitely learned is that just getting that first job is probably the most valuable thing. Because once you got the first job, it doesn't matter if you're if you're taking that first job for absolute minimum wage peanuts. You have a job in tech, and that is and that that is now on your resume, and that has validated you for future employers. Yeah. So push your way through and, and keep it going. I agree. I am gonna uh, not argue, but I guess share my opposing view, which I know you mean it well, but no, I don't agree with take it for peanuts in tech, especially when we're most of the people we're going to be working with are kind of marginalized anyways, or tend to be. Um, and so I think it's important. Oh, I just meant for the first job. Yeah. Just for the first job, not forever. Just for the first <laughs> job, but don't take it for $10 an hour, y'all. Don't do it. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Um, but well, my, my first real work in tech was charity work for free for uh, for an organization, and that built up my resume. Yeah, and, and so, I love that. And, and I there's there are definitely ways to... Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And... I think everybody should be doing some some charity work in tech, uh, no matter what stage of their career they're in. Anyhow, um, an awesome thing about Persevere and the Agile Learning Institute is that they have two support networks to help them go through that next stage. 
um, not only what they're dealing with personally, but, you know, just the technicality of like, this is, this is how you job search nowadays. This is how you do a LinkedIn, you know, um, these are the kind of skills, maybe communication skills, interviewing skills, and the vast network that all of us volunteers have ourselves. So that becomes a real benefit for them um, that I'm more than happy to share. And I know everybody else involved is also. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, the, the Persevere program is great. Your, your involvement and your, your heart for community service and community aid has been very clear from pretty much the moment that I met you about, uh, I think I, I think we met around 2018, 2019 when you were, when you had just come through going through a career transition. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I know almost immediately you were involved with a, with an organization called women who code, uh, and you've been a real prominent voice for that group in this area for a long time and really raised awareness about that group, uh, along with Pamela. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk about that a little bit. I mean, what, what got you involved with Women Who Code? And, and tell me a little bit about that organization. Yeah. So Women Who Code is um, will always be at the center of my heart. <laughs> it is not just one of my favorite groups, but it is, um, is part of who I am in a lot of ways. So when I first learned or got it, when I first was coming into tech, um, I found out that meetup.com existed and I went to two different kinds of meetups, maybe three. So I think I went to a um, the civic hacking meetup and then I went to a women who code meetup and um, maybe a Python meetup. I don't remember the third one. Um, but after going to that women who code meetup, which I was terrified to step into because I thought, I don't know anything. I These ladies are going to be, you know, literally just bashing on their keyboards and creating amazing things during this visit and I'm going to be sitting there and instead my uh, a memory that I always have is walking into the the, the building and um, hearing Pamela laugh which Pamela has a distinctive laugh a great laugh it she does the room and I remember hearing her laugh and looking around and everybody was just being themselves and enjoying the company and from that very moment I realized okay I can belong here. I can let go of some of these weird false expectations I had um, and I can reset them now. And since that first day, you know, they welcomed me with open arms. Um, they've listened to my ideas. They've let me, you know, put myself in, in positions to uh, just do what I thought needed to be done and bring it up. And it's been life-changing for me <clears throat> and it's been life-changing for a lot of other people. So Women Who Code is not just um, so we can gather and and talk about our social lives or what's going on at our jobs, but it's actually a vitally important organization because women do go through some different experiences than men in tech, especially because of the the ratios there um, and societal conditioning. And it's by no means a, a place where there's complaining about guys like I it's super rare to have anything like that come up, but it's just a place that we can say, hey, um, you can do this. Let I have some experience in this area. Let's talk about it. What are your ideas? How can I help you grow? Um, be a feedback board for maybe situations people are going through or deciding what their next move is and making a community where we know that we're safe isn't the right word, but that where we know we belong within the greater community also, and how we as women here can plan our impact on the greater community, not just for us, but for, you know, to have it spread out and fan out. So, um, as you know, COVID yeah. shut down a lot of the action <clears throat> with our, yes, with groups. Yes, yeah. Um, so we've had a revitalization lately and uh, a lot of new members, a lot of great meetups, a lot of learning. And great. Um, we have, so I became a director at Women in Code along with Karen, Pam, and we had um, a bunch of new people step up as leads. So like Jen Bauer is blowing things out of the water, um, putting stuff up all over the place, running ideas. Uh, Carmen is amazing also. I'm, I'm Emily, Brenna's Emily Blitzstein. Like we're just coming together and coming alive again. And I think it's going to be even better than ever 
because um, everybody's excited and everybody wants to to give back. So. And so Women of Code is available on, on Meetup. Uh, so do you know when the next one's coming up? Um, so actually, we were having an in-person lunch on Friday, the 17th of November. Um, so okay. we're in, this episode won't run by then. But. Yeah. So that'll be gone. But just as an example, we're going to meet up for lunch, and then we're all going to the demo day at the Code School to support them. Um, so that's just an example oh, of how we, you know, we go out into the community as well in general but we have about two online um events a month and then we try to have one in-person event per month so the onlines are maybe some just talk and sometimes it's technical rundowns through a product jen loves postman so we've had some amazing postman videos um panel discussions uh we do some group hackathon type things so no matter what level you're at, no matter if you want to be an actual like developer or a product manager or whatever area in tech, we have tech writers who are in there. It's just a beautiful collision of um, thoughts and energy and a place for learning and belonging. So yeah, check us out on meetup.com for Women Who Code Greenville. We also have, if you just do Women Who Code Greenville slash network slash Greenville, we have an official page there as well. Um, and then we have okay, great. I'll include the link in the show notes. Yeah. So yeah, anybody is welcome to come join our local Slack too. It's where we have the most fun. All right. And so you mentioned, uh, you know, at the one coming up on the 17th that you're going to the demo day for, for the code school, mm -hmm. talking about the Carolina code school, which I know you went through as, uh, as part of your career transition as well. Always have to give the disclaimer, the podcast and the conference are not associated with the code school. It's just a happy naming coincidence for the Carolina Codecast and the Carolina Code School. Um, but uh, but so talk about the demo day. So what happens at the demo day? What's the code school experience like for somebody who's who's gone through it and then you know completely transitioned into an amazing career like this? Yeah, so there's two points of view from the demo day, one from the um, the developers who are showcasing their project that they worked really hard on and are excited about. And then there's one from our amazing community that comes in and supports them. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the second side. Um, and then we'll come back to, to going through those type of programs and that experience. So absolutely. Um, when these, these adults, these amazing people who have just put aside their life, uh, made a huge commitment, more than people realize they've made, gone through a huge transformation and have worked so hard and come up with this final project, right? They're ready to display it to the community. And our local tech community is so awesome. The more the years go by, the more I realize um, how much our local community comes in to support these people, um, to Genuine and not just to be there to support, but they're genuinely looking at what their projects are. They're interested in their ideas. They're interested yeah. in the new tech they used. They're interested in, in talking to them as people, not just as as developers. Um, and uh, most of our our local leaders come to those. Um, you come to them. Uh, Jeremy Wright comes to them. Yeah. Joel comes. To, those are the people I see every time. Of course, all the people included in Build Carolina, a lot of the local tech companies around here, they just always come out to be part of it. And the biggest takeaway for me is that that, that is the, hey, we're the tech community and we have open arms for whatever you want to bring to this community here. You know, it is to help them find jobs or internships and, and all that. But um, that inclusiveness, I think, is the biggest it's the biggest takeaway from that day that our network provides for them. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've gone in there with, you know, the goal of hiring on a few occasions and it is really, really competitive for those graduates at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, it's they're so well known and so well advertised that, you know, you, you go through and you, and you see these projects and you see these, these projects that the students were, were putting together and some, area of industry that, that they maybe had previous experience with. Um, and I think that's actually been one of the most fascinating things to me when I've been there, because it is one thing to take somebody who was a student who came right out of high school and went to college and said, I have now learned all of this theory and programming stuff. But when you have actual background in another field, 
the ability to relate to the problems of the field and transition that into a coded solution or a way to build something that um, that solves problems that you deeply understand uh, is is really difficult to explain. Anybody can write code, mm-hmm. uh, and and I tell this to people all the time. And you also and you see it when people run into communication problems when they're trying to deal with outsourced development teams where they're just saying, I want you to build this. And they don't really truly understand what this is because they don't understand the, the various moving pieces of it. And I don't know if, if the code school makes that clear when people are doing these, these demo day projects, but it definitely comes across because I've seen people make projects, you know, talking about um, trying to, to speed up first response mm-hmm. or, uh, or a project I think one of them today was was around uh, just handling uh, hiking trails in a certain way because they were really avid hikers. Yeah. And the ability to, you can work all of the things out in your head that are a lot more difficult to dialogue with somebody else to figure out. And it's it's something that's that's hard to really put into words. I feel like I'm rambling at this point. Well, let's talk <laughs> so, so what you're talking about is one of the biggest benefits of a diversity metric in tech, right? So this is one of those other diversity metrics we're talking about. It's the life experience diversity yeah. metric. And at the code school, they don't say explicitly like write something that has to do with what you used to do. What is always said is write a program or make a create a program that is something you are passionate about and you care about. So it's a huge bonus, not only for these people to be able to make great programs that are super innovative, that really blow everybody away when we see them because they're solving real world problems, but it's also a message to the tech industry in a, as a whole of, you know, if you've got a candidate and they're 42 years old and maybe they just entered tech a couple years ago, um, and they don't have a prestigious degree. They didn't just come out of college and do and start coding, you know, from the get go. It's not a it's not necessarily a detriment because if they're coming into an industry, your industry that you are building a product for that they, like you said, know those pain points, have the real life experience, they're going to be able to make your product better. So not just write code for your product, but they're going to be able to say, hey, this thing, like this feature doesn't really make sense or it's not really solving the problem we were, we think we're solving. Or if I was using this product, I maybe not have access to it the way that uh, we're expecting people to. Yeah. And those are, honestly, that's a, a lot of those situations make or break a company. If you're not on target with your audience, if you're not actually solving the problem for your audience, then you're just out of touch and going downhill. So it's natural yep. to build stuff you're, you're passionate about. I've seen a lot of the graduates go into areas that are either directly involved or adjacently involved to the, the industry they were in before or whatever they're passionate about, myself included. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a good path and it's a, a great, great part about people changing careers and entering check and being able to use that to make your company a lot better than you probably think that they're going to be able to in a lot of different ways. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that does. That does. There's, you know, you can summarize it as there's no substitute for experience. Uh, and, and it is absolutely the truth. There's no substitute for understanding the problem. And so whenever I tell people what to look for when you're hiring programmers, I always tell them you, you need to look for that relentless desire to learn. Mm-hmm. curiosity, essentially curiosity and persistence is essentially what it's all about. Because if you don't love to learn learning, if, if you don't love learning to learn, um, you are going to burn out in this field almost overnight mm-hmm. because you're learning something new every day. You're trying to understand a new problem every day or a new area of business. Uh, you're learning, especially in the, on the website where you're gluing together numerous different technologies to put anything together and those change on a very regular basis. Um, and so every single day, you're not only working on just the, the code that you know, but you're working on trying to understand all of these other different things and how they all fit together effectively and what's the right way to, to make them work together. 
it's not a field where you just get to go and get trained and then go do the same thing over and over. And over. Exactly. Okay. So another point I want to throw in there, and this kind of uh, brings back, so it's the students of the code school, it's persevere, you know, the people in prison, it's women who code who not everybody, but a lot of those people are, are, we all, they all kind of fit into the same category, which is, um, they're fighting to get there. It's not, it wasn't just a direct path. It wasn't just a path that happened. No matter what situation, you know, if you're going to the code school, you have set aside time from your life. You've d decided that you have, are going to have confidence in yourself to go down a path that probably everybody else is telling you is crazy, that you may not know much or anything at all about. <laughs> and then also realize that you're not going to have income until you get an internship or a job. Um, and that, you know, you might fail. Like that's in everybody's mind, the fear of failure, right? Failure is, is different in tech. I don't really, it's not failure as it sounds, but that's scary for everybody, especially when you're talking about just something that's totally different. And you touched on it when you said, oh, yeah. um, you go to a job, it's not a job that you learn one time and then you go do that job. And that's the experience of jobs I had before. That's the experience of a lot of people's jobs. Um, and so a lot of the training, whether it's code school, whether it's the training in, in persevere, um, whether it's the apprenticeships in Bill Carolina, you're getting more of a change from the mindset change of how wildly different tech is in every area, how you have to think about things differently, um, and how, how, um, how this changes your identity. Um, so not the identity at, at your core, because I never feel like someone's job or title or what they do is their identity, but it does open up a door to say, right. Hey, these, these, now I have different tools I can use to change the world. Um, or I can use to change this industry. And the most fascinating stories are the ones where like they're, um, they're taking their previous experience or their previous, you know, work or life experience, and they're using technology as a tool instead of technology being their ultimate goal, if you can understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. And all these and, people yeah. are fighting. Yeah, and, and with, with everything that you've done here, I can definitely tell that, you know, your, your, your passion for, uh, for this really, really comes through just listening to you talk. Um, and I, I have to ask, is, is there anything where you are using these coding talents with your passions to change the world. I am, and I'm just going to quickly allude to it because uh, I don't want to say too much, but um, I've learned a lot over the past couple years. And I, you know, I always have a heart for, especially women, I always have a heart for people who have been through abuse, whether it's domestic abuse or, you know, growing up with abuse. Um, and just a heart for underdogs in general. If you're in, you know, a country and this is English is your second language. If you are um, 45 years old and changing careers, like if you are the underdog in general, um, you face a lot of challenges. And that's doubly, triply, exponentially more true in our legal system here. So I've been using my experience. Um, I built some tools along the way in my own experience just to help myself. And as time went on, I realized, you know what, this can really, this can really change how things are done, especially here in the South. And it can give, um, it can even the playing field a lot for a lot of people. And this is something that is really important to me and I want to do. So very quietly for the last few years, I've been building this out and thinking about it and um, now have some amazing people alongside and we're, um, we're, we're going to make something that's going to change South Carolina. It's going to change the, the playing field for the whole Appalachian region. And hopefully it'll change um, some of these systematic barriers that we always talk about exist, but what can do, what, what can be done about it? Well, I decided I can do something about it. And then some other people came alongside and said, we can do something about that too. And so I can't wait for it to be out. Uh, we have a lot of support within the community already. Um, a lot of feedback that, you know, from these systems, yes, this will, this will change things. And this, this will do um, something about what we all, we all say to each other that 
you just can't do anything about it. It's just the way it is. So we're challenging the status quo and it will not be the way it is for long. And I'll definitely come back and tell you. I I cannot wait to hear more when you're able to say more about it. Um, But, but thanks for giving us a a preview there. We'll definitely have you back on the show whenever, whenever this thing launches. Um, Cause I, I know, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to hear all about it. I know I will too. <clears throat> there may even be a conference that wants to hear a little more about it, but, <laughs> well, <Simon's next. laughs> but um, there we go. So you, you are, you're no stranger to, uh, to speaking at the Carolina code conference. You actually spoke at the 2019 event that was over at the next building. I did. And I, and I think at that point you were talking about internships, right? I was. Um, so I don't remember exactly the date of the conference, but I think it was after I had been out of code school and probably after I had gone through the internship with DeMartian, um, if I'm correct. Yes. You had a very short internship with DeMartian um, because, as I've said before, you were pretty relentless. And so the, the DeMartian internship program, um, we, we pulled in uh, four interns, including yourself, and uh, it was it was basically summer job experience for some, some products that we had to work on at that point in time, there was no long-term position. And so we encouraged y'all to, to continue applying elsewhere after the three month period was over, but that it should be some good uh, experience building work. And I think it was right as you had, I think you were still, it was right. It was right towards the end of it. I want to say it was around sometime early in July that year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you had either just finished up, uh, but I remember you, you were, you were a big advocate even then, like you were, you're, you were just coming out of the code school, just starting in tech, uh, and you were getting ready to go start your first big full-time job. And you were already advocating for other people to come in and what companies could do to start internships, to help get people off the ground when they came out of the code schools, uh, or when they were going through these career transitions. And it was, that was one of the thing that one of the things that uh, that kind of stood out almost from the moment I met you, just because there was no stopping. I mean, it was go go go, help 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 all the time, and that's that's been the case for the last five years, and it's been really impressive to watch. Uh, but so you know, you don't have to talk about what you were talking about at the conference for the for the internship stuff, but you know, you you got, went through a pretty significant career transition. And would you like to talk about that at all? Because I always thought you had a really incredible story. Yeah, I will. Um, I want to just talk about one point first, though. So the reason why you go right ahead. You said that like it's go go go, right? And um, but the reason why I gave this presentation at Carolina Code School was because an impact had been made on me, right? From being in an internship and and from looking for an internship and realizing like what the reality of internships is out there. Um, and so it's a, it's a trickle effect. You know, you wanted to, I know you were really wanting to start that internship. It was the first one DeMartian had. Um, and it, it did impact me and it did impact others. And that impact on me then directly made me want to go say, Hey, Barry just did this thing. He made it happen. He didn't have any experience and it changed my life. Like, and now I understand why it'd be so great for your company to have an internship or apprenticeship program. Um, it launched it. So yes, I've been going. Well, long, Tim, Tim did it. Ultimately Tim paid for it and approved it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you, Tim. Thank you to Martian at all. But you know what I'm saying? It's the, it's the drive. You mean like everybody got on board and you guys made it happen. And it made a difference in my life. And so, yes, then when you get given to and poured into, you want to give back and pour back and encourage that that ripple to spread. You know, in this case, it's, hey, other people need internships because it's awesome. Um, we need internships that are not just for college graduates. Those internships are awesome, but this is a different um, situation, you know. Um, and Absolutely. having the internship, Chuck, I like, I love Chuck. I would love Chuck forever. He gave me one of my greatest like inspirations cause he's genius and he's awesome. He was an older career changer. Um, and I got to just do it. Like I got to be a dev at interning and because we weren't competing for a position, 
um, that was great because it led us just to discover and try things and, you know, do our best and work our best and use a lot of new technologies. But it was it was that needed next step of figuring things out and kind of figuring out my place and how things worked out, you know, outside of code school, more towards the corporate side. Um, so totally invaluable. Um, so yeah, so I guess we're kind of talking about my career in tech backwards. <laughs> but um, oh, no, we, we, we can go with this any way that you want to. Yeah. I mean, the, well, the reason that I'm passionate about, about internships also is just because, you know, at my first internships, I had people really pour into me. And you know, there's a guy named Dave Paris who's up in New York now, but he was down here in, in South Carolina for working with a startup at the time. And he was kind of the guy in charge while I was interning over the summer for the startup company. And he had no intention of using any work that I was, was giving him. It was very clear about that from, you know, eventually, but I was still trying to do everything that was, uh, was asked of me. And he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing me down a path where you could tell there wasn't a deadline or a deliverable date. He was just trying to push me towards discovering certain answers myself. Yeah. And it has impacted my entire career ever since then. And you don't, when you jump into a workplace as a full-time employee and not as an intern where everybody's clear, you are an intern, you are in the learning mode right now. Mm -hmm. um, there's very different uh, expectations where you've got this sort of perpetual deadlines in front of you. And you don't necessarily have as much time to just go and explore and deeply understand one particular issue. You need to, but that's not always the business reality. Yeah. But yes. Uh, so as as far as as far as your story with the internships, I'm, one of the things that I that I still wish we had is I remember I got to to give you some SQL drilling uh, right before you left. How I, I wish that I had whatever that game plan was that I set out for you because I have tried to recreate it. Because uh, I, I wanted to just publish it for anybody else who wanted to to learn SQL uh, well. Because I, I remember I, I pushed you pretty hard on the SQL stuff, uh, and I, I, for the life of me, I can't find it. I, I think it's in D. Martian's Slack history somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, I don't know. I'll poke around. Maybe I have it on my computer somewhere or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, that, that'd be great. The SQL stuff was actually part of the most surprising. Like that was one of those exposure things where never in my life did I think I'm going to love SQL. <laughs> I'm going to love putting together some really cool things um, to get the data I want. But that experience really opened up that um, that part of my mind and that part of, of my interest area. So, but it was tough. I, I, I was thinking the other day, I don't even remember what I wrote <laughs> and I wish I did because uh, something about it, I could have solved something I was working on. Um, but yeah, you just brought it back around to the same point though, is that the reason why you and others probably had that, that internship is because people poured into you, you know, I did the talk yep. because people poured into me um, and people all around me in this community have continuously poured into me. And that is the drive for, my once I came, broke into tech, um, that's been the drive to do everything else that I'm doing because we are responsible for the future in tech and not just what it's going to look like, you know, with, you know, who's there, but that's important. We're, we're responsible for our community, you know, where we live. Um, the, the divide is getting really, really wide, really fast, you know, um, and tech is something that this is the solution here. We are a tech hub and we have a huge portion of our community that is never exposed to tech or doesn't believe that it could be for them or doesn't have the opportunities. Um, not that yeah. somebody's holding them back from the opportunities, but they're just not, they're not in front of them. You know, they just don't know. And so this is actually a huge, to me, a huge, like super exciting opportunity to say, hey, this is the time we reach in our community even more. And we say, you know, like, these families that have been here for generation that built Greenville, um, who want to stay here, like, I can't fix housing prices right now, um, as horrible as they are. Yep. But you know what, I can help um, 
show you a lot of different job opportunities where you can still afford to live in the town that you and your family helped build for generations. Um, and I can Absolutely. show, you know, the women at the shelter, Hey, maybe not right now. You mean that you may not be ready for this right now, but here's an opportunity to think about tech is great for single moms. Tech is great for, if you have to take your kids to a doctor's appointment, you're not going to be fired. You don't have to work weird hours. Although if you want to work at 2 a.m., go for it, you know, health insurance, just a lot of things that a lot of people in our area haven't been exposed to. And since this divide is happening, um, I feel the tech community specifically has a, a responsibility, uh, a moral responsibility to put some of our focus on how can we expose tech and how can we use this so that we are inclusive so that we are help solving the gentrification problem so that we are avoiding a like social clash, you know what I mean, at a different level. And so that we can like everybody's goal really is for Greenville to be and stay amazing. Um, but we have some yeah. work there to do and not everybody's going to be in tech, but tech is in everything. So even if we can expose it to a lot of people, um, they can, and we can make pathways that they can have the next step and it doesn't just drop. We can make the real change here. That is, is the future that everybody truly wants. Like nobody is at least in Greenville. I've never heard anybody say, yeah, we just, we just want these people out of here. That's not how it goes, yeah. but money, money does things, you know what I mean? And, but we have to be intentional yeah. about saying, man, West Greenville's restaurants, like that whole area is super cool. We love the swamp trail. We love, you know, all the water features and the park downtown. Um, but we also love this neighborhood right off the mill that, you know, is filled with, with people who, you know, mostly minority people who bought their houses, you know, that's their generational wealth and are getting kicked out of the neighborhoods because developers are, are doing it. We need to offer some other option, you know, like teach their, most of them are elderly yeah. African-American people, but they've got generations under them. And so they retired, but we can, we can come in and say, Hey, look, this isn't quite right. Um, I don't know what you want, but this is a, I just, I just want to tell you that this is pretty cool and here's a chance to kind of learn about it. And if it's a path, we got plenty of people who want to make a path for you. Um, and it's not, like I said, it's not just race and, and that kind of stuff, but, um, in the South, right. the majority of people are oppressed. I mean, that's the reality of it, man or woman. Like there's, we just got a lot of, a lot of cultural things going on. Um, but as we elevate in tech and we, you know, we make more money. So life's easier. And we, we have all these great connections in tech because for some reason, there's just amazingly amount of good people here, <laughs> like <laughs> disproportionately amount of good people. Uh -huh. Um, I think we kind of forget that. Our very reality, special community. Yeah. Like our reality is not everybody's reality. And, um, yeah. if we say our values are, our inclusivity, if we say our values, we care about the future of tech, then that has to align with some actions and you don't have to do it by, no one has to do it by yourself, but there's lots of things to jump into. And there's a lot of think tanking going on right now around these, these initiatives and how to bring them together and how to make the difference. So now's the time we are responsible for it, whether you want to admit it or not. And also it's just super fun and people poured into us. We need to pour back out. Definitely. Definitely. So there, there was a lot to build on there, but, um, do you mind if we, if we hear your story yeah. about kind of where you came from and the, in the career transition, I don't want to steal any of your thunder, but I remember yeah. there were cows involved. You remember what? I remember there were cow were cows involved. Cows, yes. <laughs> oh man. I forgot about that. Um, Wow. Yeah. I really chose to open a talk with a cow with picture, butt. so we'll go back there yep. um, and I'll give you all the abbreviated version. Um, so basically I grew up in South Texas, which is the South, but it's not the South. I actually love South Texas. Um, but I grew up from a place much different than here. Um, I had, I was a very stubborn teenager and I had a lot of experiences in my young life that were not, um, great, but it's experiences that a lot of people face. 
So I had um, moved out on my own. You know, I was living on my own at 15. I don't think anybody that's 15 that lives on their own makes great decisions all the time. Uh, but just dealing with life, I did the best that I could at that time um, and had a very long path of repercussions from decisions and repercussions from not having um, the support and exposure and community that I probably needed at that time. So made a lot of mistakes in teen years, especially. Um, I got married really young. I had my first son really young. Um, and then I got married again, still young, still too young. Um, and neither one of those experiences were, were great. I learned a lot about um, different kinds of abuse in those situations. Um, and I also learned the difference between people who, you know, what somebody's heart is and what, what people do if they don't have the resources they need. There's a difference between that. So, you know, raise my kids, love my kids. Um, I ended up working in the medical industry for a long time. I was a phlebotomist. I wasn't a fancy nurse or a doctor, but phlebotomist is what I was supposed to be because I got to work in nursing homes and um, mostly hospitals, trauma rooms. And, it, okay. you know, drawing blood is cool. I kind of still want to draw people's blood every once in a while, even though I have no way to do that. But what that experience really I'm not sure how to take that, but okay. Yeah, it's just a you know, it's a, it's only a, if you draw blood, it's something we talk about amongst ourselves. It's so weird, I know. Um, but what that experience really taught me was you know, being in, in nursing homes and seeing people's experience at the end of their life, you know, what they had wished they had done, what they're glad that they did, what really mattered. Um, and it was never a, a job title not one single time um, that was mentioned for what mattered to them. Uh, maybe what they did within their job or the impact, but it was never, it was never their job. And then moving on right. to hospitals, um, I worked a lot in the emergency room. So, and, and the trauma. So it was a trauma is part of the emergency room, but it's where the real serious stuff comes. Like you're having a, uh, there's a car accident. Like if you're coming into the trauma room, there is a substantial risk. You, may not make it out of that trauma room. And um, <clears throat> that was very interesting for me because I learned a lot. Um, everybody else in the trauma room had a very specific job. They had to do that job to save that person's life. I had to get blood. That was a specific job, but I had to wait for my spot. And then when I saw my opportunity, I had to jump in and get the blood. But what happened most of the time is that in that waiting, in those moments where people thought they were going to die. Um, they weren't saying, give me a CBC or check my spleen. They were calling out, can somebody hold my hand? Can somebody tell me what's going on? Can somebody pray with me? And um, you learn a lot when you're, you're with another human who may or may not make it, but all they want is, is that personal connection right in one way or another and that changed me even right. just in the in emergency room rounds um i did more praying with people which i'm sure probably would have gotten me fired from the hospital if they knew it but i did it anyways <laughs> and you learn a lot about you know praying isn't just um what you thought you would be praying for um and, and but outside of praying just expectations in general like um what do you do in this moment you know, crisis moment kind of relates to like, uh, okay, we're being attacked in the tech world or whatever. They're all crisis moments. And it, it taught me how to, um, how to stop and assess small actions, what's most important and go make a plan. So all that brings me to, I was working in the tech field. I somehow opened up, um, ended up with two brick and mortar stores, which were, before everybody found out about buying like whole Amazon trucks or hammocks trucks or whatever, and making all these bin stores, um, I opened up a store that used that, you know, buying truckloads of stuff that were, you know, mostly fine, mostly just stuff people returned that was 
fine. Some of it broken and then actions and all that kind of stuff. So thought I was making a store. The store really started because I was trying to find a dresser for my kid, but I was making $9 an hour at the hospital and I literally couldn't find a dresser anywhere that was less than like 150 bucks. And I said, this is ridiculous. Um, saw an auction, stopped and bought a pallet that had a dresser and a bunch of other things on it. I was like, okay, well, I got my dresser for 10 bucks. You know, we've got to get rid of these other things. And that just spiraled into, okay, there's two stores. The stores um, made no money at all. I want to make that very clear. They made zero money <laughs> um, because we quickly got involved with the community. So there was a group called Sea Haven down there that was for homeless youth. So homeless could be crashing on a friend's house. Uh, you know, crashing on their couch, um, you know, going between family members, literally homeless. And it was kind of a holistic program that didn't just give them a place to sleep that night, but brought in people to, you know, teach them how to budget, brought in counselors, brought in people where, hey, we're going to learn how to cook and that type of stuff. And then they went forward. And this is where we came in with um, pairing them with housing so they could have their first, you know, like independent housing experiences. Um, and so we got into like, Hey, here's a couch. You need a dresser. I've got your dresses, especially my heart, um, et cetera. So that also told me a lot about people. Like my, this whole story is learning about people, right. And their different situations. Absolutely. Um, so the store was happening and my dad had a massive stroke. <clears throat> so I actually had been isolated from my family for quite a few years um, because of that's how uh, abuse works a lot of times, you know, and you don't realize that you just stay so busy in survival mode. Um, but when my dad had a stroke and me and him did not have a great relationship for a long time because he's very military and very, you know, like black and white and all that kind of stuff, or I thought he was. Um right. So I came up here to take care of him while I was having a stroke because we really thought that he was going to need 24-hour care forever. So after he started recovering and getting better, I thought, okay, I need to go back to the hospital scene. So I have a very vivid memory of like looking up the hospital jobs available here and just getting sick to my stomach. Okay. Just, I couldn't, I realized I can't do that again. And it wasn't um, anything bad about hospitals. I had just endured, like there's just a lot of trauma in watching hundreds of people die in itself, you know? Um, and I didn't yeah. really want to go. You've back. seen some stuff at that point. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to go back to, I, I wanted a, a position that I could do something different that I could support my kids um, alone that I could hire babysitters, that I could um, have good health insurance, that we could take our first family vacation ever. We'd never been on a vacation. I don't think I'd even had a whole weekend off in like six years. Um, and so to me, these are like big dreams at the time. You know, these are like, wow, can I really do that? And then, you know, of course the pay was much better. I could have never imagined myself coming close to six figures because I was working 70 plus hours a week and my, and 26,000 was the highest I got to. Um, and then during the time I got sleep, like I actually got to sleep <laughs> when I was taking care of my dad. Um, but after they went to sleep, my kids went to sleep and my dad went to sleep. Uh, my brother was my behind the scenes encourager. He had been in tech and he's, he was talking to me about it and I repeat like parroted back these things that we know or think we know about tech. I, I don't even know where they come from really, but I parroted back to him. I'm not good at math and science. I am not, even though I am, I was on the math team in high school, like I rocked it, but somehow convinced myself I'm not good at math and science. And that's the phrase we're pointing out, you know, and tech is all about math and science. And, you know, like there's not women in tech. I'm going to be standing out. And my brother has, Thank God for my brother, right? He's just been the the voice in my ear, um, encouraging and saying, yeah, that's a wrong idea. Like, that's a wrong thought there. Let's explore that. Um, but he sent me some Python for Kids books. And I had a, like, 90s desktop computer. It had a CD burner in it, if that gives you any idea. <laughs> um, and I... Yep. 
like installed Python on my computer and started going through these books and um, learning. And it was really hard. And I was by myself and he was already to the point in his career where I'm asking like, why is my input not going in? And he's like, I have no idea. Like, like, but let's look at it together. And sort of that same thing you referred to where you're constantly learning. So that's where I, I learned to learn. Got to the yeah. point where um, I decided I actually loved it, right? And I wasn't just doing it for a better standard of life, but that I actually loved. Like it was really fun. I was solving problems and I was doing all kinds of weird things at that point and making turtle programs. And uh, I made myself like a schedule for cleaning, whatever. I was solving my own problems with this tiny amount of tech experience I had. And I thought, hmm, okay, there's something there. Um, so got to the point where I knew that I couldn't, like I had come to a stopping point for being able to like really get to the next step with learning or getting a job, um, found meetup, went to the meetups. Um, the meetup that I was at with, um, I can only remember his code name in our, in Greenville, Jim, though Jim and Jeremy were at, um, and somebody had mentioned that yeah. Carolina code school existed. And so I was like, cool. So I looked him up that night. I applied, I missed the deadline for the scholarship because they had gotten like a bun, a scholarship from Facebook or whatever. And honestly, at that point thought, okay, maybe this is my sign to stop. Maybe I'm the, all those self doubt things come in, you know, maybe I'm not meant for this, you know, if I couldn't get past this and what, um, and yeah. honestly kind of let that win for a, a month or two. And then I was driving down the road and just literally had loud, super loud thought in my head, apply again, apply today, which, you know, I say, I take that as, you know, God's nudge or whatever. So I went home, applied again. Um, they had a leftover scholarship from somebody who didn't, you know, f go through whatever certain amount of time, um, I was given a MacBook. I never used a MacBook on an iPhone before. Um, me and Alex always love to tell the story that the first time I came into class, uh, I came in 30 minutes early and I'm not a, like a big crier, but I cried in front of him because I, I handed him my MacBook and I said, I don't know how to turn this on. <laughs> I literally had never seen the power, like uh, the tool, the bar. I'd never seen the power button. Like I was devastated before it started, but things quickly changed from there and code school, you know, I did the two end, the two week class for front end. And that gave me that confidence that, okay, I can do this, this thing. This is fun. I may not love Jeff front end, but I just made a, a website about shoes and cats and that's pretty darn cool. All right. This is going good. Um, then went on to the code nice. school and that, like I said, transformative experience, not just for learning technologies and kind of getting them foot in the door, but for, adjusting to this whole different world that is tech um, and especially adjusting from areas where, you know, there was a lot of hindrances. There was a lot of reasons I should have never made it into tech. There was a lot of things in my own mind I had to work through much like the people that we're working with in the South and the Agile Learning Institute and Persevere and Women Who Code. <clears throat> and um, the people there supported me not only in, in learning Python and learning how to um, connect it to a database and make a button happen on the front end, but also those meetings like, Hey, how are you doing? Hey, there, here's the thought process that might help you. Here's a perception change that might help you. And that constant reminder that I don't have to do the exact right thing all the time. Um, you know, when I was drawing blood, you either got the blood or you didn't get the blood. There was only two options. Yeah. Um, and in tech, you don't ever get anything on the first time, like ever, unless it's a one line code. Like if you do, it's a, it's a warning sign. Right. Exactly. Like you should be suspicious. <laughs> so, um, just going through that, how hard it was to go through the process to adjust my mind on the work side to tech, because it's like speaking a different language, but you have to use your elbow. Yeah. You know I mean, and it has to turn purple or something in a lot of ways. Our brain does, doesn't work like that. It feels like, and then also yep. on the personal side, all the change that had to happen. Um, so that brought me around to, you know, coming out of code school, I was ready to go and I was ready to go because 
this is was the path that I chose that it was either going to be all or nothing. It was going to be, I'm going for my dreams. I'm going to, you know, make a difference. I'm, I'm going to be able to um, set these goals I set for myself, or I'm going back to $9 an hour and seeing my kids a couple hours a day at most. And that's the driving factor. That's the driving factor for a lot of people who do un, untraditional education. It's a lot of factor for the people we're working with at the Agile Learning Institute. It's a driving factor for um, the kids, our young adults that I worked with this summer at the Greenville County, at Greenville County Alternative School. You know, I got contacted to, hey, do you want to make this program with 3D? We have a printer. Well, I've never 3D printed, but yeah, I want to do that program. Let me figure out how. Talked to some people, got connected, joined some groups I wasn't in before that I, I love now, like the 864. And um, just, I don't know how it happened, but it happened. You know, we got people together. We got a lot of people who had never yep. taught before. Um, and we had this amazing pilot experience um, that... I hope change the kids. I saw a lot of moments of those, of that lighting up of themselves when they got that win of doing something they never had been exposed to or thought that they could do um, and that they were good at. And then they were teaching their other classmates, you know, like, oh yeah, I figured it out like this. And then there's collaboration and then there's whole new projects coming up that weren't even planned. And it started out from just somebody reaching out saying, hey, do you want to do this? And me saying, I don't know how to do it, but yeah, sure, let's do it. And then the, the community joining in and then boom, we have a tangible thing here at our local school of, of kids who most likely have had hard choices and hard situations and, you know, yeah, had some absolutely. mental oppression and um, changing the tide, you know, and I got more from that experience than the kids do, I'm, I'm sure, but it also was a catalyst for this, what I started out with in this conversation, all these things that are needs, all these things that are going on, how to bring them together, how to work best, how can I help the other areas? Like now is just the time of exponential growth for good in our tech community and tech community at large. And even though we have different segments, you know, it's the time and I encourage everybody to kind of reach out like no one else who, who volunteered at the school thing had taught kids before or thought that, that they were going to be good at it. Most of them hadn't 3D printed before. I didn't get a single so, feedback of a negative experience from anybody. So if somebody wanted to get involved with that, where would they reach out? Um, so they could reach out to me um, on LinkedIn under Christina Roberts FSD, um, or it. they can email me at Christina Roberts FSD. I am not the center of that universe, um, but Marie McDonald uh, works at the Guerrero County Schools. Now she was in charge of a lot of other things. We were just a tiny portion of this amazing program she started. They did gardening and dancing and all kinds of stuff. Um, so you can reach out to me. I will get her permission before I give her contact information for other people to reach out. But um, or the and the Agile works. Learning Institute in general, because we're talking about kind of doing a um, a a pairing there, community pairing there, but either way. And I'll include all those links in yeah. the, uh, in the show notes as well. Awesome. For people who are, are following up. Yeah. And the Coego right. well, consultant. Christina, you're, you're doing fantastic work. Thank you. You're doing absolutely fantastic work. Uh, it's, it's impressive to watch the drive. I can't wait for you to come back on and for us to hear about the, the product you're launching or the tool that you're, that you're launching. Um, thank you very much for coming on. Anything you want to close out with? Um, I just want to close out with that. Um, you might've seen it, but I was telling my kid about demo the other day that we were going demo day. And he says, what's it about? And I said, it's about where new developers show off the project they worked really hard on. And Barry, he did not miss a second. He just put his arms on his hips, took a deep breath, blew it out and said, I'll have my pong game ready. So he took that moment to present, to invite <laughs> himself to present, right? Which I was like, you're a freaking awesome kid, you know? But then I was like, oh, okay, how's that going to work out? The code school officially invited him. So he will be presenting. And really? Yeah, he'll be presenting his game. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So maybe not like right with all the other students, but it doesn't matter to him. Well, when I told him that he got that opportunity, his face lit up, his, his, everything lit up 
And he said, has a kid ever done that? And I said, no. Nope. He said, I'm making history. And I said, well, we'll practice through your presentation. Yep. He went off like he was a presidential candidate. And the main point of his, pres of his, of his presentation all boiled down to, I'm 10 years old. Um, I just started doing this. But if I can do this and I can figure this out, and then I got invited here, you can do whatever you want to do. And it doesn't have to be exactly the same as I'm doing. And I thought, wow, like what a- what That is a very wise 10 year old. Yeah, what a message, but like that message has been teaching me today and I want to share it so it can teach you ever, um, here's this, you know, that the older we get, the less we think we can do, but if my 10 year old can make a pong game and then without invitation, make himself a seat at the table at a well-known community expo, take the opportunities, mm -hmm. say yes, make some opportunities and figure out your path. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. And, and so I'm going to close out. I got to give the, uh, the episode wide shout out to, uh, to herd media. Thank you for helping me get this podcast put together. If you're looking to put together a podcast or, uh, and need uh, professional publishing expertise, we've got Herd Media right here in Greenville. Visit TrustHerd.com. And uh, thank you again for coming on, Christina. And this has been the Carolina Codecast. Thank you.